Welcome to Equisports Radio, your VIP pass to the world of horse racing. Down the stretch they come! Beth Salzman takes you inside the gate, behind the scenes, to the heart of horse racing. Equisport Radio, get tied on. Hey, welcome to the show. This is Les Salzman on the Equisport Radio Network. And we have a very, very different type of show today. Usually, you know, there's a lot of jumping up and down and fun and all that kind of stuff. But today, we've got a very, very serious show. And the reason it's serious is it's about a human life. Somebody that is in our business and has gone through probably the most tumultuous two and a half years that you could imagine. And we'd like to just spend some time talking and getting the story out. Uh, and letting you understand what's going on in the life of Maria Borel. We're going to do this without commercials this afternoon, so you're going to hear the straight story. And Maria, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you, Les? Good, good, and thank, thanks for coming on, on with us this morning. Uh, I really Maria, appreciate you having me. Thank you. No, we're, we're thrilled to have you, and you know, hopefully, you know, we get a chance to find out what's going on, you know, and, uh, you know, you and I talked the other day and after we hung up, I had a chance to think about it, you know, for those folks that aren't, aren't aware, uh, Maria trained, uh, Breeders' Cup champion, uh, run happy and, uh, just did, you know, an incredible job. It appeared. Uh, when she won the Breeders' Cup with this horse, and what was that your fifth or sixth start, or um, not my sixth, fifth or sixth start. I had a bunch of starts before and a lot of seconditis. <laughs> right. Uh... And, and so tell me, ha, ha, that, that's a great point because you know you had some seconditis, but you hadn't won races before. How did how did you wind up training this horse? Um. Well, the. McInvale and Laura had a friend in Kentucky, and uh, we had some horses race each other before, um, their friend and I, and they basically needed someone in Kentucky to help them out, and I had had veterinary tech experience, and, you know, he, ironically, <laughs> had always had told them how my horses always looked so good, you know, that I didn't, you know, have any wins yet, but I took good care of my horses, um, so Laura had flown up and met me, and it just kind of kept going from there. So let's take it a step back further. How did you wind up in Kentucky? Because you're from upstate New York, am I correct? I am from upstate New York, yes. Yep, and I've moved around a lot for horses. You know, expo rider for a while, assistant trainer. Bounced around, you know, from Long Island, Saratoga, Ocala, you know, to the typical racehorse life, I suppose. Um, and then I had visited Kentucky sometimes, worked a couple sales, and I just absolutely loved it there. And I just took a chance and didn't really have a plan. I just knew I wanted to be there, and I just decided to head to Kentucky, and that's basically what I did. And that was probably nine years ago now, eight, nine years ago. So now, were you horse crazy from birth, or did it was it an acquired illness? <laughs> basically from birth. <laughs> <laughs> um, always wanted to, always rode ponies, you know, and I 
my dad was like to gamble and he loved the race horses, you know, flat horses and harness horses. Um, and, you know, I remember watching my first derby with him and I was Sunday silence and, you know, I said, daddy, I wanted to want to do that. And that's when I started having riding lessons. And I guess I was basically hooked on horse racing since, you know, I was lucky enough to not grow up too far from Saratoga a couple hours. So we would go to the races there and we'd go to Vernon Downs too and see the harness ponies. So. Now, do you have any brothers or sisters? Um, I have three older half-sisters from my mother's okay. first marriage. Okay, so so you got got the riding lessons, and you got involved, and from there, what happened? Um, I just kept riding. Um, I got my first horse when I was 12, and she was a two-year-old, <laughs> actually, and my trainer helped me bring her along, and she just grew up showing hunter-jumpers. Um, graduated high school and a year later after high school, I decided I, at that point I wanted to try to be a jockey. So I headed to the track and basically thought that's what, what I was wanted to always do. And I still love riding racehorses, but, um, it turns out I wanted to be more hands-on involved in the decision-making process. Um, I guess I just had different ideas of how I thought some people did things and things I thought that I would like to try and kind of tried to pursue that path and, I was lucky enough to meet someone who, not a big time trainer, he had some horses in New York and some in Florida, and he helped me out in Belmont, um, and just kind of continued from there. But then I didn't, you know, have racehorses for a while, and I moved to Kentucky. You know, no one really, uh, I don't know, it's hard to move to a new place where no one knows your face. Um, and knows yeah, your name. That's very true. So, basically started all over again, and I had some friends in the breeding industry and they're like, well, you were a vet tech. You can pull out mares, do a little farm, you know, and we'll get you going from there. So I didn't actually get to saddle my first horse for a couple years after that. Um, always knew where I wanted to be. Just wasn't really sure how to get there, you know? And, and so you get there and what do you have? Two, three, four horses at the start? Yeah, I'd have like two or three horses at a time. And they'd either be like young horses I was starting, yearlings, and getting going, and then they would take them away from me, or we claim a horse, you know, for 5000 <laughs> or 7500 and um, play around with them. So, yeah, that was basically the beginning. There was a long time where I was like, man, I probably shouldn't have left New York because that's where people knew me. Um, but I was in, I was pretty stuck and in love with Kentucky now. Still, still am. I think it's the most beautiful place on in America for me, at least. I've never been out west, like, but I love it there. It's gorgeous. No, the Lexington area is, you know, like paradise, right? If, if you're a horse person, I mean, it's just it doesn't get any better. <laughs> so, so you you're in Kentucky and you have a few horses. I guess you know most trainers with two, three horses, they do most of the work themselves. Is that what you were doing? Yes, 100%. Yep. I mean, for a while there, I trained them right off the farm. You know, made a grass galloping track and ship them into the training center for breezes and, you know, did the best I could, you know, because at that point I was pretty, you know, we had a decent side, decent amount of horses at the farm with mares having babies and all of that. Um, so at that point, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> for sure. Now, now, were you training for yourself, or did you have clients? Um, no, I did have clients, and you know, we we did we did pretty okay. You know, we claimed some horses for like five thousand. One silly top tier last year it might have been seventy five hundred. I don't know, at Turfway and 
flipped her back in for Keeneland, and she ran second. The owners were happy, and a big jump in class started allowance, and we were happy, and, and it's fun. I mean, it was a good experience, you know, for sure. And, and so when, when you're training the horses, you know, and having trained for many years myself, you know, and you're, you're at two, three, five horses, you're in the barn almost constantly. So was was that the kind of life you, you were looking for at the time? Or? I mean, it wasn't really about looking for it or not looking for it, but it was what I loved to do, you know. I loved getting out of the bed in the morning and going to the barn. And, I mean, I wouldn't have changed anything. You know, I, I miss being that busy, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, I knew that that's what it was involved. But, I mean, I knew that from a kid. You know, I didn't grow up a lot of money. I was middle class. I babysat to save money to get my first horse. I worked off my riding lessons in the barn, cleaning stalls from a little kid. You know, I mean, I, I knew all along that horses were hard work. Um, and, and so th- this goes back to, I guess, 2014 when you're, you're, you're really getting started. Am I correct? Um, I think I had my first start training in 2000. I think I saw my first horse in 2013. Okay. I'd have to go back and check the exact years. I could tell you the horse name. <laughs> you, you know, but it's, it's funny. I was in Quest for Candy, and, but I don't remember the years. are kind of a blur, but might have been 2013. I'm pretty sure. You know, I, I trained my first horse, uh, my first winner, probably before you were born. And to this day... I still remember her switching leads at the top of the lane and then sw- swapping back again. And I'm saying, oh, my God, you know, she's four in front and she's killing me. Yeah. So that stays with you forever, <laughs> right? Yeah. You, know, you just can't get, get rid of those first wins or first events. Uh, so in 2013, 2014, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of building a little bit. And then then you wind up with this giant in the barn. Um, um, yeah, and at that, that point, I don't even remember if I had any horses actively in training. I don't think I did at that point, to be honest. I had one gelding with a partner, and we decided to retire him. We actually tried to bring him back after, but I don't even think at that point I had anything actively in training. And so now your approach to take take these horses, how many horses did you take uh, for Laura? There were... I think there were five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was five. And you have the five horses, and quality-wise, obviously a big jump up from where you were. Right, yeah, for sure. (laughs) And one of the things, you know, again, having been a trainer, and, you know, a, a nickel horse was a stakes winner in my barn. So... Now you have good horses. That has to be a lot of pressure. You know, I didn't really feel it that way. I kind of just was excited to finally have some horses I do had, like, pretty good talent, you know. I mean, I loved Run Happy, and I had another two-year-old filly I was pretty smitten with. Um, I really liked her as well, and I was honestly just more excited for the opportunity. I didn't feel the pressure yet at that point. (laughs) Okay. And so... When you got Run Happy, tell me a little bit about where he was in his, in his racing life. Um, he had broken his mane at Turfway, zigzagging all over the track, 
and they had put him in a derby prep stakes race, and I'm not sure if he was hurt before then or after then, but he got in a tibia fracture, and he ran last in that race. It may have happened in the race, not really sure. Um, so he was coming up off of a layup farm, so basically doing nothing. The most he had done was go on a walking machine when I had gotten him. Uh, so it was pretty much almost not really starting at ground zero because he had, of course, muscle memory, but... You know, had to fix some basics first. He couldn't run a straight line. He'd blow the turns. He wouldn't break straight out of the gate. Um, but it was, it was a crazy experience, that's for sure. You know, I had joked around when I first got him. I was like, I told a bunch of people, you know, I told Laura. I even told Edgar Prado. We've always been pretty good friends. And I was like, you know, keep, keep your eye out on this horse. I was like, because this horse is going places, you know. And I've, you know, his agent always would joke around with me. You know, he didn't want to ride my crappy claimers <laughs> so i was like make sure your agent lets you ride this horse <laughs> when the time it's comes ama it's but. amazing how many good friends you get when you have a good horse right yeah it, it's true i know it's very true so so you know you have this horse you know he, he's a good horse but a bad horse kind of right he, you know he's got a ton of ability but every morning when you go out you're saying to yourself is he going to make the gap or not and Finally, you have him going right, and tell, tell me what happens from there. Well, I mean, we just had him going right, and, you know, I, I couldn't have done it, honestly, without the people in the barn. I mean, that's for sure. There's a, a girl named Erin Walker that ran him his first couple of races, and she worked with me incessantly on that horse to get him to break out of the gate. And I had two exercise riders on him, and they both were huge into get, teaching that horse to relax and go in a straight line and just you know, being on the track is not a big deal. You can just go and gallop and relax. <laughs> um, so then it was just a matter of, you know, getting him fit for the races and finding the right spot. And, of course, that was interesting at Indiana Downs. It was torrentially downpouring all day. <laughs> and I was like, well, I think he's going to like the mud. We'll see what happens, you know. But it was a good race. And and then from there, you know, you're, you're moving forward with him and – you're doing okay with the other horses in the barn, too. Am I correct? Yeah. I won a race with another filly. Um, we brought her to Arlington to run. And the main claim is 50000 And someone took her out of the race, which she won. Um, but, yeah, we did we did pretty good. And the rest were all babies, so they weren't really ready to run yet. The rest were just two-year-olds. Okay. So now, now, now you win a race with them, and you're starting to, to feel confident. When did you start pointing towards the Breeders' Cup? I mean, I guess the Reader's Cup was really got in a serious, was a serious talk when we had talked about bringing him to Saratoga to run the King's Bishop. Um, you know, we started devising a plan together of what we thought was the best step, you know. You know, and I thought it was a good idea to keep him and run him in another allowance, and I'm glad we did that at Ellis because I really believe that horse learned more things after every start he had. He got more confidence in himself. Like, the change between Ellis Park and Saratoga was huge. I remember shipping him to Saratoga, and, like, we were there already for a few days, and he just stepped on the track one of the days, just, like, it clicked in his head that he knew he was something. Like, he just was, like, got this air of confidence about him, like, started strutting his stuff, and I was like, all right, you know, here we go, game on. But, um, you know, we kind of, I kind of set the plan from the beginning. King's Bishop, then we'd go to the Phoenix, because it was a wooden urine race, and, right. you know, but I had always thought that he had the talent. The first time I saw him breathe, I swear to you. <laughs> I called Laura and I said, we're going to the Breeders' Cup with this horse. And she's like, don't jump ahead of yourself. I'm like, Laura, 
this horse is something else. He's got the talent. We're going. I really think we can do it. Um, so it's and, a crazy journey, so, you know. <laughs> and so he he's rolling along, and things are looking really good. You're now, you know, past the point of turning back, kind of, because you win win the race at Keeneland, uh, the uh, the Phoenix, and he then throws in a, he then kind of takes a little time off, right? Or no, Between actually, the Phoenix. you're back no. about three, 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 four weeks later to the Breeders' Cup. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yep. So during that three or four weeks. What kind of happened? Well, um, it kind of got a little crazy just because there's a lot more people in the barn. Um, you know, and at that point, honestly, tension started to rise, not between Mr. McInville and I. He and I actually never really had any problems because he and I weren't the ones to actually talk. He was always very adamant of what a good job I did. But, um, you know, Laura was around the barn more often, and, you know, we – to be honest, starting with just a few disagreements about she wanted to change his speed and all this other stuff. And I was like, look, we have a grade one winning horse here. We're not changing anything <laughs> while I'm still in the barn. Um, but it was, I mean, honestly, the weeks before are probably almost a blur because it went by very, very fast. And there was a lot of new attention, a lot of people visiting the barn, taking pictures, video cameras in the barn. It was a, definitely a brand new experience for me. Now, I guess the question I have for you is Laura was involved. Was she involved from the very beginning or how, was how always, that um, it became very unclear as a, as somebody watching to what was going on? She is always um, very involved as far as like racing manager. I called her about all the horses very often. And honestly, we were friends. Um, you know, we talk about stuff that wasn't horse related uh, for, you know, months. We always actually got along very, very well um, until the end. But, yeah, we always talk, and I'd talk to her about the plans for the horses, how breezes went, um, you know, talk to her. Like, I mean, I hired Edgar, you know. I I found Aaron. Um, but, I, of course, like, Mr. McInvale and her approved, had to approve Edgar, you know what I mean? Like, I, they definitely were part of some of the decision-making process as far as, like, if they didn't want something to happen, like an, like an Edgar Prado or an Aaron Walker, then it, it wasn't going to happen. Um, but it worked out a lot because my ideas and Laura's meshed a lot as far as, you know, what I thought he should be doing next in his training or where I thought he should be headed in his spot. Most of the time they agreed, minus the King's Bishop. That was, that was a back-and-forth decision on if they wanted to spend the money to fly him up and do it or not. Um, but, but she, I mean, yeah, she was the racing manager, so she was – she was definitely, you know, involved in talking to me a lot. But she she was the racing manager, but she also trained him at the early part of his career. She did, but she did it uh, most of the time from afar um, in Texas, and one of the uh, one of the grooms that was basically like running the barn, and one, her friend that had hired me that had told her about me was also helping run the barn um, at one point. But they had the horses in Kentucky, and then they shipped them to Louisiana. I believe, and I guess they all the all the horses came up with problems, and that's when they decided they needed to do things a little bit differently. But yeah, the horses were heart rate monitors, so they could basically always kind of gauge what they thought scientifically on the heart rate monitors from, you know, from where they were in Texas. 
So we would call and we would discuss their charts, um, what she thought about it. And I, you know, I love the heart rate monitors. That was a learning experience for me. So I loved those conversations and what, you know, we had a guy involved and I'm terrible with names and that's going to be terrible when he hears this interview. But I learned a lot from him about heart rate monitors and quality of horses and what it showed on the charts and all that. But it was, it was, I mean, it was a fun, it was a fun experience for sure. And I'm not going to say I didn't learn things. The heart rate monitors were amazing. Well, th that that advanced technology, most trainers don't have the opportunity to use that kind of stuff. So it had to be a real eye opener for you. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it was really interesting. It was really, really interesting to see and compare like your low level horses with like your good horses and their how fast they recover heart rate wise. And, you know, how some horses are just not bred to be, they're just not athletes. They're not born to be as good of an, as good of a horse. It's pretty crazy that you can, you really can tell it. I'm one of those. It's pretty wild. And uh, the forecastability of that's incredible. So now you're, you've got a pretty good relationship. And now the Breeders' Cup is sneaking up on you. And you became kind of a media celeb because, you know, here you are, a young woman, you know, you, you had a great year, right? You had eight starts six wins so everybody's paying attention to you right and, and the horse is doing incredibly well runs a hole through the wind and wins the race by three quarters of the length but i think he probably could have drawn off a little bit more even if it need be uh and when you're in the winner's circle that was just a great scene matter of fact i think about 72 women bought the blue fascinator uh, right after the race that you were wearing. Uh, <laughs> so so, oh. so now it, it looks like everything's great. You know, it looks like you're sitting on top of the world and then something happens. Yeah, something happened. Can you talk about that? So, yeah, so the next day, go to the barn. Um, Go over the horses. Laura's there. Um, and Happy had some heat in one of his ankles. And she really wanted the horse to go to the track and jog. And I said, Laura, no way. I was like, this horse has heat in his ankle. He's not jogging sound. You know, let's call the doc and you know, have the vet come and get his opinion. Um, so the vet comes, watch him jog. He is a little bit unsound, agrees the horse has some heat in the ankle. You know, finally, yes, the horse does not go to the track. I, you know, so that was settled. And I kind of just thought it was done and over with. Um, and I'd come back to the barn to feed that afternoon, and Laura was there. And she said, you know what, we're going to take him to California. We, we don't need you anymore. And that was basically it. And we got into a pretty, pretty bad argument. Um, I never got to even talk to Mr. McInvale about it. He never answered the phone. I uh, never returned an email or a text message. He had his wife try to call me once, and I had never talked to his wife in my life. And I had messaged him back, and I said, look, you are the owner of this horse. You just told me 24 hours ago what an amazing job that I did with this horse. In fact, he had tweeted a couple hours after I was fired how proud he was of Edgar and I and Run Happy. So I don't even think he was honestly made aware of the situation before it happened. Um yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy, and I was definitely very, very heartbroken because, you know, 
with their horses combined, I'd never even lost a race. And while, you know, part of me, I did, I mean, there was, you know, Laura had the horse first, and I can understand where it was a weird situation for her to, like, be around and me get the attention, you know. So I kind of knew, like, a little bit of, I don't want to even say jealousy, not jealousy, but a little bit of, you know, just like, wow, you know, this could have been me and going through her head. Um, and I felt that coming up to the Breeders' Cup, but I just, I just didn't think that someone that didn't ever let you down would just be thrown away, you know. And so did they take all the horses from you? Yeah, they took all the horses, yep. So you went from having five, five in the barn, and the next morning... Where'd you go? What did you do? Well, I had I had three of my own horses in in the barn as well. Um, so I had three horses that I had part that I had with partnerships that I owned with other people in the barn as well. So I had to move them to a new barn. Um, but yeah, they kept everything else. They kept my exercise rider, the hot walker, the you know Cordell stays the groom, and I was basically the only change they made in the horse's life. And then I. Uh, Left on my own, basically pretty heartbroken, um, trying to make a plan. You know, Kentucky racing is winding down. The only thing that was open was Turfway, and just I don't know. It was a weird. It was a weird month <laughs> following up after. You know, mentally, for me to try to figure out what the next step was. I mean, I'm not alive. Heartbroken. Like, that must have felt like a punch in the chest. I mean, I mean, I was devastated. Like where someone died, devastated, you know? I mean, I love that horse. You know, I was, you know, everyone thinks that maybe I laid in that horse's stall for publicity or whatever, but let me tell you, before that horse even won an allowance race for me, I have pictures of me laying in a stall with him <laughs> before he'd even breathed. I just always had had that bond with that colt. Um, so, I mean, I'm, you know, it was hard. Like, more than anything, I was like, I might, I'm never going to, you know, see this horse again. Over the next week or two, what did you do? I mean, as, as a person, not not necessarily as a trainer, as a person. <laughs> Cried a lot. Um, I don't know. I was sad. I was angry. You know, I was determined to uh, that I could do it again. And I had actually gotten an email the day of the Breeders' Cup from uh, from someone in Florida that managed another horse that had won in the Breeders' Cup. Uh, a filly that ran against the boys that ran second, um, and he had reached out to me about possibly training her. Um, so I made plans to uh, basically to go to Florida. Um, but I had I told him I needed a month to get everything situated with the farm first and get everything sorted out and paperwork straightened out and all of that. Um, so basically that was it. It was uh, sadness and determination that I could do it again. And, and so... You, you you have the form, and you're thinking about going to Florida, and then stuff kind of gets even weirder, right? Well, yeah. So I have you have the farm. The farm is in my name, and at that point, you know, the LLC was owned by both my father and I. And I just I had flown down to um, meet the racing manager and uh, meet the horses because I had a few horses down there. And tried to apply for stalls in Florida. You know, obviously it was super late in the season, so that wasn't really a success. So I ended up training. Uh, okay, well, we'll backtrack. I went back to Kentucky. Told them I'd be down there in a couple weeks, and that was fine because the, you know, the big filly was off for a couple weeks. You know, just 
relaxing on a farm, basically. Um, so I got everything situated. My lease was, the timing was actually okay because the lease was up on that farm that was in my name. And I turned everything over to my father. He leased a new farm solely in his name. I was not on the lease. Um, signed over my half of the ownership of the LLC to my father. That was done, again, months and months before uh, any of this happened on his farm in Kentucky. Um, I knew. I knew I couldn't manage a farm from Florida. You know, I'm not not daft. I knew that that was not possible. I, you know, I'd already given him most of the responsibility when I was in Kentucky because I was, you know, on a whirlwind train with Run Happy, you know. <laughs> so, you certainly were. Yeah, I knew. I mean, I mean, obviously I couldn't do it from far away. And in retrospect, you know, wish I didn't move to Florida. But at that point, I guess I felt like that, especially because I thought I had the opportunity to train that nice of a mayor. I was like, you know, I, I have to go. You know, this is what I have to do. And, you know, it's not like it's not like my dad didn't have any horse experience. He was around the farm with me, you know, for years, you know, and he was basically running things without me during run happy you know he was you know they were staying at the house with me my parents and i guess i had thought at the time i made a good decision that he would be able to handle it and it would all and it would be fine um so i moved to florida and how many and horses that was were on december the farm? 2015 um how many horses actually, were on the farm enough, there was like 60 horses before i decided to move to florida and i rehomed a bunch of them because the problem is Here's the biggest problem that Kentucky has. If you have clients that don't pay you, you have to go through this whole system of going to court, paying a couple thousand to even get ownership of these horses so that you can get, even just give them away. Um, so a couple of those legal issues had happened, um, had ended, rather, closed the cases finally just before the Breeders' Cup. So I got to rehome quite a few of the horses, you know, gave away some mares, gave away some riding horses because... Ironically enough, when I first moved to Kentucky way back then, I gave some riding lessons. So I had ponies and, you know, I gave away my uh, track pony up there. Yeah, a little bit of everything because I figured if I could always have a fallback plan with the ponies and, you know. Um, but so gave away a lot of, you know, off-the-track horses that people just stopped paying bills on, mares that people stopped paying bills on. So downsized when I left, there were, you know, 40 and change. But I think that my dad... Another one had left the farm since I was gone that was also involved uh, with one of those other legal cases after I had left the farm. So probably but, 42, 43. But to have 60 on the farm, you know, that how, how'd you get 60? That's not like, okay, I'm going down to Walmart and I'm going to meet somebody and they're going to give me a bunch of horses. You know, no, I takes, mean, I had client horses, a lot of 60. broodmares. No, yeah, I had a lot of broodmares, um, some for clients. Again, some that didn't pay. <laughs> you know, I had two clients each with four horses amongst them that didn't pay their bills. So that was eight right there. Um, and, of course, there were horses we bred ourselves. There were, you know, yearlings, uh, you know, the horses I would have probably been training in the future, yearlings, weanlings, you know, some two-year-olds, um, mares. And there was, like I said, a couple, two ponies that I gave riding lessons on. But, I mean, there was client horses as well. Um, and like I said, some you're just stuck with, you know, when all that stuff uh, happened on my dad's farm, there was a lien on four of the horses for like 27,000, you know, that again, were just horses stuck. And there was like uh, a yearling and a mare and, you know, sometimes you're just stuck with the horses is the problem. And, it, you know, 
And, of course, I don't want to be getting rid of my future. I assumed, you know, yes, I signed over the ownership of the farm to my dad, but, of course, who is my dad going to have trained them when they're old enough? I, assumed, right. I hoped it would be me. <laughs> so, you, yeah, you would you know, think, right? But I wasn't in a rush to get rid of the yearlings and the weanlings, you know? Um, I'm going to ask you a tough question, okay? Okay. You, you, you get 60 head on, on the property. Why do you think people sent you the horses? Um, well, A, because I was cheaper than a lot of the bigger farms around there because I could do that because I did a lot of the work. Um, and B, they knew, I, they knew I did a good job. I had gotten, I was very good with the mares and the babies too. I had gotten mares that couldn't get in full for three years. I got babies out of them. Um, so, you know, and I also know a lot about bloodlines and breeding. Um, so I think people just trusted me, you know. I mean, I found, it's funny, I found a, a mare, a Carson City mare for 3000 for a client, bought her off the track. And, you know, I was very influential in who they bred her to. You know, I basically decided that who she was going to. She was bred to mine shaft. And that horse became a group one winner um, in South America. So, you know, people nice. like that, they just, they come back. And they know. And that's the whole thing. The clients that have been with me know how much I love the horses. When I have a horse leave, you know, I mean, I'm upset, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I think everybody is, you know, when you, when you walk by that stall the next morning and there's that face isn't in there, you know, it's upsetting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get attached for sure. I mean, I followed all of them, you know, I mean, that's just how I was. Babies I fold out, I'd always keep following their careers and, you know, it's always sad when they go. So um, now... Yeah, you know, there's somewhere between 40 and 60 horses on the farm, and and you're heading to, to South Florida. And yeah, so like I said, we got rid of a bunch. But My things deteriorated very quickly. I'm sorry. It seems like things de deteriorated very quickly. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I left in December of 2015, and you know, I was on the farm Derby Day in may and there was one skinny horse and i you know told my dad i was like look go buy a powder pass you know deworm this horse give him the six tubes of dewormer you know i don't see anything else wrong with him and that was it there was not you know a dozen skinny horses that was that was not the case but my like i said my father is in charge of anything and he never reached out and told me hey there's a problem until like you know there was a big problem um but, I mean, he hired the people, he fired the people, you know, he ordered the hay, he ordered the grain, he was, you know, he was the one in charge of all that stuff. I never met any of the future employees he had after I left the farm, because my farm was in Clark County, Kentucky, Winchester, um, and he moved way across the other side. Uh, before he was in Mercer County, he was in Versailles, so, you know, the employees didn't want to trans uh, drive from one to another, so he hired all new people. Okay, Basically so, uh, everything. And, and this is this is important for people to know. You had the the one farm. You you headed to Florida, and then he decided to move cross town, basically. Right. Uh, and, and to another farm. Right. Yes. And be, this this is kind of awkward. Before you left, had anybody complained about your horses? 
Um, so the landlord I had was very bizarre in Winchester because we actually, we never got along well, but we had no issues. I was there for two years until there was a massive water underground water leak on the farm and she refused to fix it that year in 2015. And that was her responsibility per our lease. And I mean, I don't mean like a little water leak. I mean, thousands of dollars a month water bills. Um, so we had started fighting a lot about that. She had had a friend that wanted to rent the farm who, um, she did like hunter jumper riding lessons and she basically was trying to force me out of the place. So she had called in November. <laughs> she tried to call animal control on the farm saying I had a dead puppy in a crate, all this madness. So Clark County animal control came to the farm in November and looked at every single horse on the farm and all of my dogs documented all of it, took pictures of every horse. Um, and wrote an affidavit saying, which is actually posted um, on my social media, on my Facebook and my Instagram, saying, you know, there's no issues with any of the horses, blah, blah, blah. I had actually called animal control before on one of my clients that was there on self-care board that just abandoned four of his horses that were losing weight and winter was coming. I had actually called them myself. So it was ironic when my old landlord called. But, um, but yeah, so animal control actually had already been to my farm right before I moved away. When the farm, when I was in control of it, November 2015, and literally took photos and documented every single horse and dog. Okay, so now your dad moves the farm. You, you're gone for four or five months down in Florida, and you you come back and you see one horse that looks a little bit light, but then a couple of months later, the the hornet's nest erupts, right? There's there's madness, yeah. Um, one of the clients who had four horses held a grudge, basically, and he was going from farm to farm, and he took a picture of the one skinny gelding, the one that was getting power packed. <laughs> um, I guess like it would have been four or five weeks after I was on the farm, because it was after the derby. It was the end of that month, I think. And kind of posted pictures on social media, and things exploded, and I don't... I don't honestly, I don't know what happened because I wasn't there. And I, I wish, in retrospect, I ran back home. But, um, you know, I had Mr. Getty, my lawyer, for um, the Run Happy case because I was suing Mr. Backenbell for not paying me my 10% of purse monies. Um, and he had told me, he's like, Maria, it has nothing to do with you. He's like, my suggestion is you stay as far away from the situation as possible. And I know that was a huge mistake now, but... I don't know. I can't go back in time is what I did. So anyway, the state took control of the farm in the end of May. And I don't know what happened after the state took control because I have pictures of horses from the end of May that by the end of June, while the state was in control, literally look like they lost 100 pounds while the state was in control. And of course, it bothers me. I mean, those are horses that I, you know, were obviously a big part of my life for a long time, you know horses I did own with my dad. Zeke Camelot, the perfect example. I had claimed him and saved him from being a skinny, emaciated horse. And he was always a hard keeper. And so, I mean, all of it was very upsetting for me. You know, I'm a huge animal lover. <laughs> I don't even eat meat. I have it since I was 16. I'm like the type to rescue an animal. You know, I'm never, I've never been a person, I would never purposely hurt a horse or any animal. I mean, that's just not who I am. And I, I wish I did run to help, 
And the, the irony of it all is I probably would have been because things got bad in Florida. I wasn't, I was at a training center originally and I kept trying to get stalls at Gulfstream so I didn't have to pay, you know, $15 a day stall rent. And for whatever reason, um, I was not permitted stalls. So, you know, drawing it away and I were in the process of moving a couple of horses, I would have been back up north. You know, I, I, I just missed being able to go up there and, and help fix all this. You know? Do you think? Do you think that the reason the horses fell off was because there was, wasn't the funds to pay for for the hay and the grain I mean, and all the other stuff? Or, I don't, or was I don't it something know. Else? Like I said, when I was there in Derby Day, it was literally only one skinny gelding. You know, I don't know about I don't know about funds. I really feel like I really. You know, I think that maybe the people my dad hired also were not, you know, certain horses have to be in a certain pecking order, for example, in a field and they get chased off of feed. You know, and I really feel like that was a major part of prob- probably what happened with Zee Watt because he was never an easy keeper. He's always bottom of the order. He always was in a field. And, I, you know, I was shocked as everybody else to see, you know, what had happened with these horses. And never once did my, you know, did my dad say until it all started, did he say, you know, we're, you know, I'm having, you know, I'm having some issues. The state came out to the farm. I was ordered round bales that aren't showing up. I don't know what to do, you know. And then it was, that's when I had called Mr. Getty, and he's like, Maria, stay away. And, you know, I was, never in my wildest dreams did I think that I would be, you know, blamed for something, you know, that I, you know, had zero to do with. That, and people that know me, that have been in my barns, you know, they know how much I love and care for my horses. And I'm the type of person that I will feed a horse before I'll pay a vet bill. You know, a lot of that has come about out about, you know, yeah, I owed Rune Riddle for a colic surgery. But you know what? When you have multiple clients not paying you and it comes decision time, okay, I got to pay my rent. I have to buy this amount of feed for the month, this amount of hay. What decision was I going to make? I was going to feed the animals, you know. No, and I think that's I a common decision that trainers are faced with. Yeah. Oh, all the time. But now, was your dad at the farm every day, or I'm, I'm um, just trying to he, he would, trying to understand. No, you're fine. No, he would split time between New York and Kentucky. He would go back and forth. Um, and I have yelled at him incessantly for making the decision to leave at one point after the state was involved because my dad did arbitrations like two a year on retirement, and he had to come back to do an arbitration, and I you know, yell at him for making that decision on a daily basis. You know, you should have never left when the state was involved. I don't know why you trusted these people you hired. You know, you can't, I'm learning, you can trust very few people, you know. Um, I don't know. No, he wasn't there all the time. He would go, he would go back and forth. Okay. And, and in reality, you know, it sounds to me like he was, a horse fan, you know, you told me as a kid, you guys used to go to Saratoga and the Vernon Downs, but never, this was probably his first go around as a horse man. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. He wasn't around horses like physically until, you know, I started forcing him to be around him when I was a kid, but you know, he'd always help me even when I was a kid at the horse shows, he'd help me groom my horses or tack her, tack her up or, you know, whatever. And he'd help me with the foals when they were born. I mean, it's not like, 
it's not like he was clueless as to what was going on. He was always, you know, my dad loved the farm and loved the horses. He wanted to move to Kentucky full time, but my mom didn't want to leave my sisters. But he'd be out there for most of my fallings. If he was in town, he was there. He would help do everything, you know. I mean, did he so he wasn't as a kid? I'm sorry? So he wasn't clueless. I mean, he had an idea. Of what it should no, look he like. wasn't clueless. Like things like the horse's feet, I don't have an excuse for that. I don't know. He said that at one point he had called farriers. They didn't want to travel out to where he was in Clark County, or you know, I mean, I've seen the text messages between him and the woman that was the main person that worked for him of you know trying to organize people to come to the farm, and you know, at some point the state was blocking people from coming to the farm according to these text messages. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have all the answers, and, you know, it's been, you know, hard for me to even get the answers out of my dad because, of course, now we have a very, very strained relationship, you know. I was going to ask I you about that. I, I love him and I hate him. I mean, <laughs> there's no other better way to put it. Um, and I don't think he did anything on purpose. I don't, but I don't. I think he and I both made bad decisions. I wish I had made different decisions when it all started, and I think he made bad decisions as well. But. And uh, during during Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's got to be very awkward. Yeah, um, we didn't. I mean, I've been back in New York because, you know, I was gone forever and my nieces and nephews are here. And I was like, well, I have no reason not be home. But I honestly, you know, we don't really spend holidays together. Um, Christmas, I went to my aunt's house on my mom's side of the family and, uh, you know, his birthday and all that. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know how to feel. <laughs> you know? it, it, it's, it's got to be tough for you. I mean, you're facing four or five different issues at once. It's been very hard. And it's hard because, I mean, my dad was, like, you know, my biggest supporter growing up with the horses. So, like, now, I don't know. It's very hard. But it's all been hard. I miss the track, you know. I'm not... I'm not very good at not being around what I love. You know, I don't even know what else to do with myself most of the time. But I do still have two horses of my own. Um, one's a show horse. One should be one should be racing. But <laughs> <laughs> she's not. Um, but it's still not the same. I don't know. I love them, but it's not the same. And you know it. You train horses. You To go from working 12 to 15 hour days, seven days a week, to... Uh, you know, basically nothing. It's just crazy. You know, no, the racetrack gives you a reason to wake up in the morning. I agree with you. It does. I love it. And I still wake up before dawn because I mean, really old habits die hard. <laughs> Doesn't matter <laughs> if I go to bed at 2 a.m. I'm usually up at 4.30 at the latest. <laughs> I'm angry at myself for being awake. I'm like, why am I awake right now? <laughs> so what's the future look like? I don't know. I'm not giving up. I hope that you know, that this interview will help some people see, you know, what had happened. And I hope some people will take the time to go check out my social media and see, like, I've posted the copies of the farm leases. I, I posted copies of the affidavit from the animal control before I left. I posted the LLC showing that my dad was sole ownership of the LLC. Um, so I hope that, I hope that I have a future in racing. I hope that some people can find it in their hearts to be like, you know what? You know, we haven't heard the whole side of the story, and maybe someday someone will give me a chance again. That's that's what I hope. 
Have people been mean about it? <laughs> there have been some people. That uh, other than the usual Facebook been, haters. And say there's some crazy people um, that have been terrible. and But there actually, actually has been a lot of people to reach out in my support. But I think that the biggest problem is they're afraid of, you know, getting chastised for supporting someone that everybody thinks did this terrible thing. Um, but just to me, you know, they're like, we know, we know better. You know, we believe you and we're here for you. You need someone to talk to, call me. So there's been both sides of the fence. There's been some really amazing people. I've definitely learned, you know, who my who my true friends are. <laughs> and then there's been some real terrible people. I mean, I've gotten, especially in the beginning, I got some terrible messages from, you know, mostly from like little girl fans. Those are the worst. You know, how could you? And that breaks my heart the most. You know, I, I would think. I would think that would be the toughest. You know, grizzly old people, it doesn't much matter, but little kids, you know, they have dreams. Exactly. And I just, that's, I think it's, the whole thing is just so terrible. You know, I mean, I feel, you know, I just got associated because we had the same last name, basically. And I thought that I was going to be a good thing for racing. You know, a lot of young girls love this sport. And here's a, you know, I'm not that young. I'm in my 30s, but, you know, <laughs> You know, a young girl got to do this and, you know, my dream came true. And, you know, I, I thought that it was going to be such a good thing for racing. And now to be associated with it in this way is just, I don't know, I hate it. I really well, do. you know, I appreciate the fact that you had the courage to come on the air. And even more than that, I appreciate the, the fact that you've said that you've made mistakes. Because so many times in situations like this, people say, yeah, I did it because of this, and there were lots of excuses. But you've you've you know said that there were mistakes made, and you know I hear hear your voice, and I know that you know this is very very difficult for you. Yeah, there's so many things that I wish I could go back in time and do differently. You know, so many things. Well, those things you can't, and uh, people that know me will tell you I'm certainly not philosophical. But uh, you can't look back. You can only look forward. And in our sport, you know, there's there's a lot of new beginnings. You know, and people people stay you know focused, and and you can recreate your your situation. You know, and there there will be people that'll say, okay, I'll give her a shot. You just have to keep working at it, and we hope that you do. Uh, it, it's important for you as a person and actually important for the industry that you clear your name. Thank you, Les. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do so. I really, really do. Well, th thanks for joining us, and uh, I'm sure we'll be following up with you. Uh, this is Les Salzman on the Equisport News Radio Network, and we'll be joining you next week at the same time. Thanks a lot.